0: You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: Brian Lilly, Beyond the News. Welcome to the program. I planned on opening tonight with a rant about Stéphane Dion because this morning I had the displeasure of having to go to the University of Ottawa and listen to our global affairs minister give a speech on Canada's new foreign policy. It was mostly a speech about how the other guys were really bad. The other guys were horrible and we're not going to be anything like them. Well, we'll get into that later in the program, but not now. And we'll also speak with Anthony Fury about an issue of counter-radicalization, and Warren Kinsella will drop by to uh, discuss issues related to changes in fundraising at the provincial level. I don't know if you heard, but after being caught red-handed going to high-stakes, high-paid lobbyist dinners, where lobbyists would pay $6,000 for some FaceTime over a meal with the Premier and the Energy Minister, the Liberals are starting to say, you know what, this doesn't make us look good, and um, they're going to change the rules. Warren Kinsella, a man well plugged in at Queen's Park, will join us to talk about that. But remarkably, I don't feel like being overly partisan right now. I said last week it's been a, a rough time for politicians. We had Rob Ford died last week. Jim Hillier, Conservative MP, died in his office on Spark Street. Liberal MP from Toronto, Arnold Chan, announcing uh, his cancer's returned and he's got to step back from his job to, to deal with treatment. And now, as you've been hearing on Newstalk CFRA and elsewhere, now we, we've heard that Jean Lapierre's dead. Jean Lapierre, former cabinet minister, but to me, more importantly, a, a journalist, and someone who would take time out to help out younger journalists and, and mentor people. You'll hear during the show from people that worked with him closely in the political realm. But I just want to give you some personal thoughts on the man. I'm not going to tell you that I know him knew him well. We knew each other well enough. I'm watching my friend Luc Lavoie on C T V news channel right now chatted with Luke earlier today about what happened. Luke, um, longtime political observer, uh, journalist, former top aide to Brian Mulroney, and good friend of Jean Lapierre. People are talking about this in the media because, well, there's a few things that people in the media like talking about more than themselves. But let me tell you why people are touched by Jean Lapierre. This is a man who was at the pinnacle of politics in Quebec. But could also, he understood politics across the entire country. He was elected at a very young age, 1979. He was the youngest serving cabinet minister in 1984 at the age of 28. That was a short-term job, just like the, the boss that appointed him, John Turner. But he did hold that record for being the youngest serving cabinet minister. Went on to help found the Bloc Québécois, later renounced separatism, joins Paul Martin's government after a brief uh, foray into being a political talk show host on CKAC in Montreal. Once the political powerhouse talk radio station. Then he left politics again, went back into media. He was a colleague of mine at Quebecor. He was on the French television network TVA. He was also a radio, hosted a radio show on 98.5 in Montreal. So this is a man that was at the pinnacle and yet would still take time for people like me when I was a young reporter, younger reporter. Would still take time to give you insight, to explain things. And I don't know what other people experience with him, but I experienced no pretense. He was always excited to to share a story with you. Always excited to talk. And this is a man who was on good terms with people in all parties. Like I said, he started out as a liberal under Pierre Trudeau, was with John Turner. He left the liberals in 1990 over the Meech Lake Accord. Jean Chrétien had become leader. Lapierre had supported Paul Martin in the leadership race. He really liked Meech Lake and, like a lot of Quebecers, felt like the province had been screwed over. So he left, founded the Bloc Québécois, one of the early founders. I think there were five conservatives and two liberals that started the Bloc. How they became a far-left party, I don't know. But in their early days, they, they weren't. They were just angry. They thought Quebec was getting a raw deal. Like an awful lot of people out west right now feel like their region's getting a raw deal. They felt that for their province. Despite all that, he came back into the liberal fold. He came became a Federalist again and said, you know what, that was a mistake before. But he kept on good terms with absolutely everyone. And in a day and age when we rip each other's throats out without thinking, where we insult people as idiots, incompetents, they don't know what they're doing, you're just a so-and-so, this was a guy that would keep in touch with people in every party, people of every political stripe. I'm pretty sure he was still a liberal. He knew where my politics stood. It didn't stop him from talking. He kept in touch with top conservatives all throughout the, the Harper years. He straddled the divide because he saw people as people. He straddled the divide because he didn't see someone on the other side as his mortal enemy, but rather a Canadian with a different point of view. I'm not going to lionize the man here. I'm not going to turn him into a saint. I'm sure, like all of us, he had his problems. But I just want to highlight that right now. And this is part of why I don't feel like being partisan. But trust me, when I get to Stefan Dion, he'll feel it, is that too often we are willing to rip each other apart over politics without stopping to think that at the other end of that conversation is another person, another person just like you and me, that gets up every day, that has a family, that has people that love them, that has a job, that puts their pants on one leg at a time, and just hopes for the best for their life, for their country, and their world. We need more of that in this country. We need more of that in this world. Jean-Lapierre, dead at 59. Rest in peace, Jean. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments.
0: On the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa.
1: While I was speaking earlier about the the death of Jean Lapierre, In Toronto, a mother is dealing with the loss of her children. We had the sentencing today in the um, Marco Musso trial. He's the man, comes from a very wealthy family, had been partying, I believe, in Las Vegas, flew back into the Toronto area, landed in a private plane, then got into his car, intoxicated, and killed nine-year-old Daniel Neville Lake, his brother Harrison, their two-year-old sister Millie, and their 65-year-old grandfather Gary Neville. I can't imagine. This is does relate somewhat to the LaPierre. Jean LaPierre died in a plane crash going to his father's funeral with his wife, I believe two of his brothers, and a sister big chunk of one family wiped out. Well, that's what the the Neville Lake family is dealing with. So today, outside the courtroom, the children's mother, Jennifer Neville Lake, held up a picture that was taken in the hospital of her children clasping hands and she urged people not to drink and drive.
2: They
3: pushed their beds together because they asked me When I decided I had to turn the machines off so Millie's heart wouldn't explode, I couldn't pick which baby to turn off the machines first. So I said, can you put them together, please? So they put them together, and Edward and I crawled into bed with them. And this is what the team did for us, so that we put our hands on top of theirs, so that at least when my children, just like we were there with them when they were born, we were there with both of them when they died, and they died.
1: I can't imagine, can't imagine for a moment what Jennifer Neville Lake is going through. I can't imagine what Jean LaPierre's mother's going through, just lost her husband, now lost all their family. I can't believe, can't understand what Gary Neville's widow is going through today. But Marco Muzo sentenced to 10 years in prison after pleading guilty to four counts of impaired driving causing death and two of impaired driving causing bodily harm. Like I said, it's uh, sometimes the news business is a lot of fun, and sometimes you're talking about death, and lately it's been often people I know. I don't know this family, but I know the area, and I've heard so much about their story. Rob Ford, uh, still lying in repose at Toronto City Hall, and now the discussion is on of what to do with his vacant seat. Toronto City Council yet to decide... What they're doing, Mayor John Tory, another former talk radio host, being asked about that earlier today.
4: There is a very specific provision that allows the council
1: to make a decision of either an appointment mm-hmm. uh, or a by-election, but you can do neither until uh, until the seat is declared vacant, which it won't be, I don't think, until the next council meeting a month from now. So that's what they're dealing with in Toronto now. Eventually, I do have to get away from uh, from sad news uh, and. We'll start that pivot point right now. Let's talk about political fundraising. A shocker today down at Queen's Park. We discussed on this program a little while ago, and I'll go go into a further discussion with uh, with this, with Warren Kinsella later on. Uh, Ontario is going to tighten up the rules on political donations. This after Kathleen Wynne was caught Kathleen Wynn and Bob Shirelli, by the way, you can still sign on the petitions for the rebel at firebob.ca or firewynn.ca. And we we currently have our second billboard up in Toronto that says Fire Wynn and it's right outside her office. Right outside her constituency office in Toronto is a giant billboard telling people to fire the woman. But she was caught trying to organize fundraisers with industry lobbyists selling $6,000-a-plate tickets to a dinner with the industry minister. How you cannot say that is selling access to a minister that regulates the people being sold the tickets? I don't know. Obviously, they are feeling the heat. So Kathleen went announcing that they're going to overhaul rules and that a full package will become becoming by the fall.
4: The government will bring forward a plan in the fall, and that will include new rules on third-party advertising. We, uh, we've we talked about that. It'll also include transitioning away from corporate and union donations, lowering the annual donation limit, and at the same time, keeping the transparency measures currently in place on real-time reporting.
1: All right. A couple of things there. Um, regulating third-party advertising, is this maybe because all the unions that paid millions of dollars and I mean millions to get her elected in the last election, Maybe she's annoyed them all, and she's worried about them coming back to get her in the last provincial election. Union spent more money than any one of the parties did alone, not combined but alone. They spent more to get Kathleen Wynn elected than Kathleen Wynn spent to get elected more than the p c s could spend to get elected, and all the ads were for win or against the PCs. Maybe that's why she's doing it. But also, she says transitioning away, and we'll talk about this with Warren, transitioning away, what does that mean to? Does that mean moving towards a voter subsidy? I definitely hope not. Now, I want to jump in on this story before it's too late. Donald Trump is now saying Remember that whole thing with the reporter that said his campaign manager grabbed her and bruised her and he said it didn't happen? And, well, now his campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, has been charged. But Trump is saying, oh, no, 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 no. Corey did a fine job and, you know what, You know she was threatening me. I, I feared for my
4: safety a lot of people are uh, looking and saying how can anybody be charged he was she was actually if you look at her my book and according to a lot of people she's grabbing at me and he's acting as an intermediary and trying to block her from doing that bull caca
1: there's been a full video released by the police in jupiter florida you can clearly see that yeah she's walking near trump but she's not grabbing him I think Trump Trump released a photo saying, look, she touched me, I feared for my safety, and what's in her hand? Well, it looks like a pen, Donald, and she's a slight little woman. I've met Michelle Fields, the reporter in question. I've interviewed her down at CPAC, and your campaign manager, Corey Lewandowski, was well behind you. And you can see in the video, he comes up through, grabs her arm, pulls her back. Now, she didn't almost fall to the ground, but you can see her lose her balance as he yanks at her. But don't worry, Donald's still saying that she did a really
4: good job. The news conference was over, it was done, it was finished, and she was running up and grabbing and asking questions, and she wasn't supposed to be doing that. Uh, And I think you should, I told him, I said, you should never settle this case, you should go all the way.
1: Okay, I've covered politics in Canada and the U.S. You know what? If a politician's walking by you at a big event like that, you walk alongside them, you ask them questions. It's how... It all works, Donald. You just love slamming people on Twitter. You don't like anyone asking you any questions, not even from a friendly media outlet. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA.
0: He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: There's a new office in town. It's called the Office of Community Outreach and Counter-Radicalization. It's going to have a coordinator and everything. We slipped into the federal budget and uh, the liberals are not saying too much about it but anthony fury sun columnist is trying to get a better handle on what's going on and also raising alarm bells for what this could be anthony thanks for taking the time to join me
5: always a pleasure to be on the show
1: tell me about this office of the community outreach and counter radicalization coordinator what's this Office, this coordinator, supposed to be. By the way, we've just fired the uh, ambassador for religious freedom and we're shutting down his department, but we've got this new office. What's this guy going to do?
5: Well, it's hard to figure out. I've been trying to get that information and there isn't much really right now. This is an office that's going to report to Ralph Goodale. He's the Minister of Public Safety and Emergency Preparedness, and presumably it's going to do what the office is called combat radicalization, counter radicalization because of course there's charges out there that the that the Conservative government, they of course being the ones tough on terror, Trudeau, eh, he's weak on terror, doesn't care so much and he's pulling us out of the C F eighteen fight. But the Liberals say, well look, we campaigned on creating this this office that's gonna fight radicalization. We gotta get at the root causes or what have you. And now we're true to our to our campaign platform, and here's a funding announcement for this. And Goodell's office told me the other day they're working throughout this year to talk to different countries around the world and different stakeholders about making this the, the best office they can be. So I'm a little cautiously optimistic because it exists, and that's a good thing, but I do wonder what direction it's going to head in, Brian.
1: The point that you raise in your column, and I recommend everyone go and read it. You can find it on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. Uh, the, the point that you raise is that you're worried, and so are others, that community outreach is in there. And you point to something that I remember writing about myself back in 2010, about the Just and Sustainable Peace Conference that was inviting, I believe, people tied to the uh, Iranian regime. Uh, it had 9-11 truthers, it had a lot of strange people at it, and this was what the Mounties were getting involved in as part of their community outreach and uh, counter-radicalization offerings.
5: Yeah, someone to do with coordinating that conference was a part of the RCMP as sort of this, this cultural liaison person, not an employee of them, but attached with them for outreach, and that person said to the RCMP, hey guys, come to this conference, and they Emailed it amongst each other, and, and some of them uh, talked about attending it, and that's really worrisome because you know the challenge with community outreach, Brian, and and, and this is a caution with the office because it's not called the counter radicalization office; it's called the community outreach and counter radicalization office. So outreach comes first. You go well. What exactly are you doing in this outreach? I mean, maybe if you're going to different uh, potential radical groups like extreme Islamist groups, and you're reaching out to them by saying, "Hey, guys." We don't like what you're doing, but we're going to come and talk to you proactively and find out how we can get you to change your ways. Well, I, I like that kind of outreach, Brian. But if it's you saying, oh, we want the moms to come and, you know, inform and educate us and we can have a multi-faith roundtable, and you're not really being selective in who you're letting in and maybe you're letting in some of the more extreme ones that the office is actually supposed to combat – well, we have a major problem on our hands, and, and I am worried that we're doing the latter, which is essentially allowing questionable characters to use this office as a way to access the corridors of power in Ottawa.
1: We can go across the country, Anthony, and I'm speaking with Anthony Fury, Sun columnist, his new piece out on the Office of Community Outreach and uh, Counter-Radicalization Coordinators up on the Facebook page. Check it out, share it, let people see it. Um, Anthony, we can go across the country and point to example after example of local police forces and the RCMP not always picking the best partners when they do community outreach in the Muslim community. And I normally have Muslims telling me this, like, look at who those guys are with now. Look at who they're speaking with. Look at who they're involving themselves with. That that That's the big worry to me, and, and I think you... you lay that out well in the column. Let me ask you about the other side, then. Counter-radicalization. It's something people love to talk about. I'm not sure that we have evidence that it works yet. I'm not opposed to doing it, but I'm just wondering if it is the fad of the day that in five years we'll all be saying, well, eh, that was a nice try.
5: Yeah, I've read a number of scholarly reports on the issue, and the bottom line is there, there are a few people out there who actually have the chops to to deliver on this because there are a lot of locally moms who want to say oh no 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 you guys get in touch with us and whenever the rcmp or what have you is going to do a you call us first and we'll go with you and we'll do these sort of preventative meet and greets and i'll sit down with this radical and i'll tell them no this is not the true islam uh, this is the way you can head and the problem is these the scholarly studies they say well these individuals they don't have their their phds in psychology they're not psychologists and what have you i mean they shouldn't really be doing these interventions. They're just random religious folk who are trying to sit down with some extremist and try and make them change their ways. And, and a lot of times, Brian, and, and in my column I, I, I quote from a Senate Defense and Security Committee that uh, does a recommendation saying a lot of times the actual people that you have going along with you, the imams and so forth, well, they're not that vetted. They need to be very thoroughly vetted. So there's this whole can of worms here that calls into question The whole validity of how counter radicalization is done in many countries right now.
1: So, we do have a problem. Is there, have you seen a good solution? I know you spent a lot of time thinking about this issue. You mentioned in the column more than a hundred people, a couple hundred people, once you count those that have gone over and come back, plus those that are still there. A lot of people over. Taking part in the jihad from Canada. We just had um, a gentleman arrested who'd been to Syria and come back, and the police believed that he was going to be going again. Is there an answer?
5: Well, I think there are two answers. One, we need to enforce the law. Shockingly, that's not being done right now. As I wrote about in a column a few weeks ago, and we discussed, RCMP are, were at least declining to press charges on a lot of people who had broken the criminal code when it comes to going abroad or attempting to go abroad to support terror. Instead, they wanted to do counter-radicalization, interventions. Okay, fine, fine, fine. So a guy's going to rob a bank or he has robbed a bunch of banks. He wants to turn over a new leaf. That's lovely, and we're all in in favor of rehabilitation. You've still got to charge him and put him through the legal system, prosecute him for the crimes, throw him in jail. We can't do counter-radicalization and not do good old-fashioned law enforcement at the same time. You need to have both to let these people know that there are consequences.
1: All right. Anthony Fury is a columnist uh, with the uh, with the Ottawa Sun, Toronto Sun. You can find his latest column up on my Facebook page. Do check it out. And as I said, make sure you share it. Anthony, thanks so much. Thank you, sir. All right. That was my conversation earlier today with Anthony Fury from the Ottawa Sun. And uh, as promised, you can find the column up on Facebook, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. You want to follow me on the Twitter machine? It's twitter.com slash Brian Lilly and email beyond the news at CFRA.com. You have any comments on what we're talking about? You can't wait until the third hour to call in and uh, have your say? Well, then, those are the ways to get a hold of me twitter.com slash Brian Lilly, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly, and beyond the news at CFRA.com. If you're one of 12 people that still uses Google, Plus, you can find me there as well, but I'm not on often. But Google Plus is available to you. We'll talk with uh, retired Senator Marjorie LeBreton in a little while about uh, Senate reform and some problems that have arisen with what's going on in terms of how senators are being appointed. But we'll also get her thoughts on Jean Lapierre. Um, She remembers him well from uh, his days in politics and as a media commentator. Warren Kinsella will be dropping by to talk with me about the issue of political fundraising in the province of Ontario. And I explain why Stéphane Dion... He's just not a leader. Maybe you heard that. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News. News Talk 580 CFRA.
0: Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: Every day on this program, we try and bring you a section or an interview from earlier in the day where uh, someone has an interview that you need to hear again or a segment that you need to hear again, because there's a lot of good stuff and we know you can't listen all day, every day. Well, the big story for many of us in the media, many of us that knew Jean Lapierre, and I I know he's been on the airwaves here at CFRA, I know he's... uh, was a regular contributor to CTV political coverage, so many of you know who this guy is. Well, Evan Solomon was able to get Paul Martin, Ujjal DeSange, and Sheila Copps on the phone at the same time. There was a bit of problem with Paul Martin's phone reception, so he dropped out, but we wanted to bring you the best of that conversation earlier today here on News Talk 580 CFRA.
6: Uh, The Right Honorable Paul Paul Martin, obviously uh, the Prime Minister who appointed Jean-Lapierre, he joins us now. Mr. Martin, good to have you on Ottawa now. Thanks so much for calling on a very, very tough, very tough day indeed, the loss of Jean-Lapierre.
7: It certainly is. I I mean, I I guess I'm still stunned. I just, you know, it it hasn't really sunk in yet. He was such a wonderful person, and you knew him, and he was such a wonderful person. He was I mean, he was great company, but he was also you know, probably one of the leading political analysts in North America, and the issues that he raised and his ability to go through them. But the thing that strikes you right now is he was just such a good friend.
6: It, absolutely. I'm speaking with former Prime Minister Paul Martin, also on the line, Ujel Dessange, former Cabinet Minister, and Sheila Copps, obviously former Deputy Prime Minister, all of them reacting to the death of, of Jean-Lapierre Paul Martin. Uh, we t- Tom Mulcair tweeted out there were members of his family. We can't confirm any of that. Um, can you tell us your how, your, your your last contact with Jean Lapierre, who was a, a giant of a figure in Quebec?
3: Well, there's
7: no doubt he that he was. Uh, probably about uh, uh, two uh, two to three weeks ago, um, I saw him and we talked about. In fact, what we were talking about is the possibility of, <laughs> of playing golf with a. Because spring was going to come a lot earlier than we thought, and uh, he and I were probably the two worst golfers in the world, and we but we and we were great friends, and uh, and in fact like, one of the things that happened is when you'd be with him, he talked politics and he talked public issues, and he was just so knowledgeable and he had such a love of country. Um, this is a you know this is a, this is a real loss, and it's also for those of us who are close to him a real a real loss of friendship.
6: I'm uh, speaking with Paul Martin, Ujjal Dessange, and, and Sheila Copps. Mr. Martin, tell us the legacy of, and we were speaking about this with Ujjal Dessange and Sheila Copps. Here's a guy who was became an MP very, very young. Uh, he served as a cabinet minister. He was your transport minister. He was your Quebec lieutenant. This was a huge job, but he, his path. Both politically, as you served as an independent and in the Bloc, and then of course he became an, a broadcaster, and he went to the other side. Um, how do how do people in Quebec view Jean Lapierre? What you know, how, and how do you view him?
7: Well, well, first of all, there's no doubt that the people of Quebec, you know, just he thought, thought that he was the next best thing. I mean, he he just they they, they loved him. Uh, Because he was such a wonderful person, he was always smiling, because of his sense of humor, because of his ability to explain very difficult things in in, in ways that uh, were easy for people to to understand, including people like myself. uh, When he was dealing with some of the issues, which we would not be familiar, he was from the the Magdalene Islands originally, and then he he became a member of Parliament for Shepherd Eastern Townships. We had a farm nearby, so we saw each other all the time there. We worked together, obviously. Um, I first met him when he was uh, the youngest member of Parliament in, in in Canadian history, and as you're right, he went from there back to journalism, uh, into journalism, and back to public life back into journalism. I think what made him such a success in both is he loved the issues.
6: Sheila Copps and Newt DeSange also on the line now. Sheila Copps, uh, I know we're having some audio issue. I know you're. Are you still there, Sheila Copps? Yes. Yes, sorry, we apologize for these audio no, issues. That's okay. uh, you're hearing uh, you, Paul Martin. And Ujjal Desange still joins us, but Sheila Copps, you're hearing Paul Martin talk about that youngest MP at the time and a very what a personable guy. What a guy who, well, very much, frankly, like both you and Ujjal Desange, not cabinet ministers and and not politicians who were afraid to speak their mind. These are, you know, you were all cut from that same cloth, which is you 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 just sailed out, you know, very independently.
8: Well, and I think Jean was that um, he and he had traveled that journey partly because of his great love also for the province of Quebec, and he worked very hard on the Meech Lake Accord. It didn't succeed, and he walked away from the party, but he also, um, when he did leave, he always found a way to reconnect with people, even though they weren't on the same side of an issue. So I think that he's had a uh, a far-reaching impact because of his first of all he's obviously fluently bilingual he's represented two different parts of quebec he's served in two different uh, prime minister's cabinets and uh and his connections were were deep and and uh, and broad across not just quebec but the rest of the country and he kept them i i actually had a tweet from him yesterday he was just talking about going to La madeleine because i was kind of on his list and he'd sort of keep us up to speed with what he was up to and is that uh,
6: right so yeah, he, so literally. You knew he, so you knew he was there. Uh, Ujjal well, the, he said yeah. he was
8: en route because his father had passed away who'd had this long cancer, and he also expressed his love for, like even though he was a member from Shefford, he always um, made everybody remember that he was the guy from Idla Madeleine. That was where his heart
2: really was.
6: Beautiful so. place. long you served with him.
2: Uh, well, for almost a year and a half, and then, of course, um, subsequently dealt with him sometimes. I haven't had any contact with him for over... Um, a, a couple of years since I'd lived in a different part of the country. Um, but, you know, the love of the country, the love of the province, the love of people and uh, came through whatever he did. Uh, he and I, of course, had interesting discussions around the cabinet table. I was the Minister of Health, and that's something that impinges on federal provincial jurisdiction. And every time I had to say something, he had a different point of view. But uh, he and I, our relationship was very cordial and very friendly, and uh One time I I went to Quebec uh, to speak on health, and I remember, uh, you know, my assistant gave me some words in French to speak, and I wrote them down in Punjabi, and uh, he obviously rescued me from my horrible accent, French accent, very quickly and very jovially.
6: You know what he he always was available, wasn't he, <laughs> uh, to help people out? And um, he, he he had a, a twinkle in his eye. By the way, the book he wrote, co-wrote with Chantal Hébert about how ill-prepared the um, PQ were for for the what they thought would have been the separation of Quebec was another extraordinary contribution that he made to this country. Telling that story, how close Canada was to the brink. I've, you know, he he was, he contributed to our country in many, many ways, uh, Sheila Copps.
1: Evan Solomon in conversation with Sheila Copps, Ujjal Desange, and Paul Martin, the Right Honorable Paul Martin, on the, uh, the passing of Jean Lapierre, media commentator, longtime member of parliament. Uh, you heard in there that he was the MP for Shefford. Uh, That's God's country, by the way. Shefford is the area around Waterloo, Quebec, not Waterloo, Ontario. Waterloo, Granby, just above Bromont, so the ski hills and some of the most beautiful parts of the country that you will ever see. And uh, later when he came back, he was the MP for Outremont. And when he resigned, that allowed a little guy named Tom Mulcair to take over. Lots of history in this and lots of good stories. I'm sure you'll hear more. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, Senator Marjorie LeBreton on Senate Reform Gone Bad. This is News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian
0: Lilly on News Talk 580-CFRA.
1: So I remember being on a campaign tour, I think it was back in 2005, 2006, and um, this guy Stephen Harper, who no one said was going to win, decided he was going to turn to someone who'd been around politics a long time to be the the even hand on the the keel, Senator Marjorie LeBreton. Good South End Ottawa girl joins me on the line now, and the reason that I bring that up, Senator, is that I remember hearing you say at that time, that that's a decade or more ago now, yes. you said uh, somehow Senate reform had come up, and you said, Brian, they were talking about Senate reform when I got here, and they'll be talking about it long after I'm gone. Yes.
9: And I have a book that uh, is written about Senate reform in, uh, in uh, 1916.
1: 1916. Right. Okay, but you didn't start on Parliament Hill in 1916. No, no, it, no. it was quite a while 19, ago. I in
9: 1962 with <laughs> okay. uh, John Baker. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I was I mean, 10 years old.
1: Yeah, not, not that long ago, not no. 1916. <laughs> uh, before we get into Senate reform, I want to ask you about um, the passing of Jean Lapierre. Oh. Uh, he was on the other side of the aisle from you. Yep. He was a liberal, then he was a blockist, then he was a liberal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I described him as a guy who, who kept on good terms with everybody. The, Absolutely. The, he's the type of person we need, need more of in politics. Mm-hmm. He didn't view a, an opponent as an enemy, just someone who had a different
5: view.
9: It, it, it is a tragedy beyond belief. You know, for him, for him, his wife, two brothers, and a sister on their way to their fa- his father's funeral— I mean, how, there are no words. And you're right. He 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 was a very he was a he he really was a very nice person. Uh, I always, uh, you know, I I remember him as a young MP back in the um, early '80s, and he spent a lot of time in opposition when we were in government. But uh, he was he was well known because he made his views known. He uh, was very likable, really good communicator. Well, I,
1: I love one of his quips in the middle of the sponsorship scandal.
9: Yeah.
1: You know, he he comes back and his job is supposed to be help Paul Martin secure yeah. and win Quebec.
9: Yeah.
1: And then the sponsorship scandal, you know, throws that out the window. That's right. And at one point he just said, I really just wish the RCMP had laid some charges and then we could move on.
9: That's right. Well, you know, that was he was so bluntly realistic and honest. And uh I remember, you know, my first, uh, I was aware of him, but my first real memory of him, well, I had lots of memories of him, but it was at the 1990 Liberal Leadership Convention in Calgary, and I was out there as an observer, because other political parties send observers, so I was out there as an observer with the Conservative Party. And, of course, the Meach Lake Accord had just um, failed, and um, Jean Chrétien had that famous quote where he he thanked Clyde Wells Mm-hmm. And of course, um, and embraced them. And Jean Lapierre was supporting Paul Martin, and uh, and they went and they were. He was so distraught over the failure of Meach that he he and a lot of Martin supporters from Quebec wore uh, black armbands. And then shortly after that, um, he you know of course left the Cretchen uh, led party and joined with Lucien Bouchard to uh, form the Bloc. But I never thought of him as a separatist. I think he was just so profoundly disappointed. Um, that, Meech, uh, you know, the Meech Lake Accord, which would have brought Quebec into the Constitution, failed.
1: There, there were times, Senator, where I talked to him, and I would think, why aren't you with the Conservatives?
9: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, he, anyway, an interesting guy. Well,
9: well, you know, and I, and of course, I used to see him when I was traveling with the uh, prime, the you know, then leader in 2005 and oh six, and uh, of course. Uh, he had um, he had gone he left politics again went back into broadcasting but I remember him particularly on the 2008 and 2011 election campaigns because he he would always show up and cover our Quebec events and he and I always talked to him because I, he had a better sense of what was going on in Quebec than you know anyone that I know he, it, it is it is just so so tragic such a loss
1: it, it really is and yeah. and I I can't uh, oh. I can't imagine what the whole LaPierre family's going oh, through.
9: Can you imagine?
1: You know, uh, John traveling with his wife and uh, two, two brothers, brothers and, and a, a sister. And sister an aunt? Uh, was there... I, I'm not sure about that. They, I
9: heard that it, there was an aunt. And
1: all of them traveling back for his father's funeral. I know. Let oh. Let me ask you about the issue of Senate reform. Yes. You were appointed to the Senate in 1993? Yes. 93. And you retired last year. Yes,
9: in last tw- July.
1: Last July in 2015. So you spent mm-hmm. a lot of time there. Yep. And there has been talk about Senate reform all the way along. Justin Trudeau promised this new, open, and transparent way of appointing senators. Yes. And now we find out that in addition to Andre Pratt, not only in property for the Senate district he was appointed to, an actual requirement for Quebec senators—
9: that's right. They didn't
1: check the residency or the property requirements for any of the senators, I'm told, in this this arms link panel that he appointed.
9: Well, I, I mean, there's a, where do you start? First of all, a, a select ca- panel who uh, who no one had any say of who was on the panel selects these seven individuals. And, you know, and they all they all are they appear to be very uh, outstanding citizens. I know Peter Harder personally. But. Uh, and but the the whole process is a total secret. It was it's far more secretive than anything that I ever uh, followed when I was doing this for Brian Mulrooney uh, or Percy Down or Penny Collinet uh, in the whole Senate selection process. There was uh, a whole lot of people participated in it. Well, this is uh, okay. completely secret. We don't know how many names they submitted. We don't know anything about it.
1: So let me ask you about this then. I probably started following Senate appointments as a reporter on a regular basis around 0304. Yep. And so you, you normally just get a news release, and it says these people have been appointed to the Senate on the recommendation of the prime minister, blah, blah, blah. That's right. This list that we got, and, and I'm not disputing that any of them shouldn't be appointed. I mean, by all standards, they meet the criteria, as far as I can tell, assuming they own the property and so on. But here's my issue. This new additional layer hasn't added anything to it. This list looks like every list I've looked at. You've got the journalist. You've got the academic. You've yeah. got the former bureaucrat. You've got the the native leader, the athlete. So, you know, this could have been Stephen Harper's list. It could have been Jean Chrétien's list. Of course. But we've added another layer.
9: Well, we've got, we've got the secret panel, mm-hmm. and we don't know what process they went through. We don't know how many people applied. We don't know how many people they approached. We don't know how many people they put on their final list. When but it's, op- the but Prime it's open
1: and transparent, Senator. Well,
9: but it, it's it's anything but. You could argue that the, tra- the there was more transparency under you know when when everybody got into the act—political ministers, caucus members, individuals—and uh, you know we, there was a lot of a lot of consultation about Senate appointments um, in the past. But the but the problem is he 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 talks about nonpartisan and meritorious. Uh, first of all, partisanship and political uh, political uh, identity has never been the problem in the Senate. Uh, it's the actions of individual senators that have been the problem in the Senate,
1: and, and not in any one particular party.
9: No, I and keep saying political this parties. Is political the- parties are the background backbone of our democracy. So, uh, and then he says meritorious. Well, you know, he 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 picked the head of um, the head of. Um, the, uh, the university in, in Manitoba, in in um, in, uh, in Manitoba, and, and you know she's a university president. But we have Dr. Kelvin Ogilvy, a renowned scientist who is the uh, a president in, of uh, Acadia University, who's who discovered a, 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 and and was awarded for discovering an important drug that uh, treats people all over the world. What is more meritorious about her over him? Um, you okay, know. But, but I want to ask you about
1: the partisan before we run out of yeah. time. The partisan issue, yes. okay? He says he wants it to be nonpartisan, and then we've got the the academic, and I'm forgetting her name now. She's from Ryerson. She donated a thousand dollars to his leadership campaign and a thousand dollars to the Liberal Party. I have no issue with that. No. Nope. But don't tell me she's nonpartisan. Or well, that, that's just
9: right a, um, Yeah yes. Justice
1: yeah. Um, Murray Sinclair. You guys appointed him to head up the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, right. and then he spent all his time trying to make sure the conservatives were not reelected.
9: We, we, Don't tell
1: me he's not nonpartisan.
9: That's right. Or, or Francis Lankin, who we appointed, by the way, as, uh, on on the uh, – What on, were you thinking? Well, she, I mean, that's <laughs> right. And, and, and we appointed her and made her a Privy Counselor so she could, uh, she could serve on Security and Intelligence Review Committee that's like the part you know this whole nonpartisan is is ridiculous everybody's a partisan one way or the other everybody has views and partisanship has never been the problem in the senate ever it's actions as you said of individual senators and and they're all going to be they well, for instance peter harder he's going to have to he's the government representative he is going to have to shepherd government legislation through the senate so he's going to have to take a partisan position in support of a, of a government policy. Are they suggesting but, that the opposition, by opposing it, are being excessively partisan? No, they're doing their job.
1: Let me ask you this. Justin Trudeau kicked all the liberals out of his caucus. Yeah. But now he's got a liberal leader in the Senate.
9: Yeah.
1: Uh, I remember a time when uh, there was one Canadian Alliance senator.
9: Yes, that's right. And Jerry St. Germain.
1: Jerry St. Germain. They did not want to recognize him as being a Canadian Alliance uh, senator because we can't have a party of one.
9: That's right. But now
1: Peter Harder is the leader, the government leader in the Senate of a party of one.
9: That's right, because he's an independent, so-called. Or or
1: is he a liberal now?
9: Well, that's uh, that's a very good question because how is he not – and, You know, I know Peter. is a very uh, he's a very qualified, skilled individual. But he's going to have to uh, take on a quote-unquote partisan role if he's trying to get government legislation through the Senate. Wow. How how can you not be? And and uh, so this whole this whole issue that partisanship is is a bad thing, and political parties are bad things. That's wrong, wrong, wrong. Political parties are good things, and partisanship. It's a natural, a natural occurrence in everyone's life.
1: I, again, Senator, I, I have no problem with the appointments. My problem is with uh, – let me put it to you this way, and I only say this – I wouldn't normally talk like this to a lady on the radio especially. But you've been around politics a long time, and you're a South End farm girl. <laughs> you know, Justin Trudeau is, um, is peeing on her legs and telling us it's raining
9: you know he he's trying to
1: convince us of something that's not happening
9: well i mean first of all you know the on the liberal senators or the non the non-liberal liberals as i call them i mean there was excellent people there you know you take a senator like senator Paul Massacott, a liberal senator no now a non-liberal liberal mm-hmm. he was a governor of the bank of canada he was a member of the young presidents organization a, a, an excellent person good businessman to think that he's overlooked because Justin Trudeau decided to kick them all out of the liberal caucus. I,
1: I, I can yeah. point to my old uh, media colleague, Jim Munson, as well. I mean, yeah. Jimmy yeah. Jimmy is a, another good egg in the Senate, and yeah. you and he are some of the examples I hold up well, when people say like senators is always every, bad.
9: For every bad egg, there's 100 good eggs, and that's the terrible, and that's what's so ridiculous about this whole nonpartisan issue. Uh, and and but by the way, some, when you look back, you know, in the, the recent past and in, in 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 the history of the of the Senate and people that got into difficult difficulty, it was often the people who were the so-called non-partisans that got into all the difficulty, not people that were, uh, you know, uh, very identified with one political party or another.
1: Senator, great talking as always. Great talking
9: to you, and good luck with your show, Brian.
1: Thank you, Senator Marjorie LeBreton, calling all the way in from the South End. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments.
0: You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself beyond the news with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: Always well, got time for Senator LeBreton. It's kind of an American thing that um, you let someone keep their title after they leave office. But for Senator LeBreton, she, she's Senator LeBreton for me. She's told me to call her by her first name. I still call her Senator LeBreton. So uh, hopefully this is not uh, her last appearance on the show. Hopefully we keep talking all the time. Good, good South End girl. Um, want to play the, the Donald Trump clips again because I just want to go back to this. I don't think what I'm going to say is going to change anyone that supports Donald Trump. But if you remember when this reporter from Breitbart... Michelle Field said, hey, wait a minute, your campaign manager grabbed me aggressively. He said it never happened. And if there was video, well, you know, everyone would know about it. Turns out there was video, and the police in Jupiter, Florida have released it. And you can clearly see Corey Lewandowski, who was Trump's campaign manager and still remarkably is, running through the crowd or pushing his way through the crowd to grab her from well behind and throwing her behind him. So Trump's asked about this today. And remember, at first he said this never happened. He said she made it up. He said it wasn't real. Now he's saying, well, I mean, he did it because, well, I was, I was fearful for my
4: own, my own measure. Uh, cut 154, go. A lot of people are uh, looking and saying, how can anybody be charged? He was, she was actually, if you look at her, in my book, and according to a lot of people, she's grabbing at me. And he's acting as an intermediary and trying to block her from doing that.
6: Really?
1: Bull caca, Donald. She, was, she brushed against your arm as you're walking through a crowded hotel room, uh, crowded hotel ballroom. And she brushes up against you. He's well behind her. But don't worry, Corey Lewandowski, uh, who has had other problems along the way, isn't going to be disciplined by Donald Trump because he thinks he's done a great job.
4: The news conference was over. It was done. It was finished. And she was running up and grabbing and asking questions. And she wasn't supposed to be doing that. Uh, And I think you should. I told him, I said, you should never settle this case. You should go all the way.
1: Yeah, well, he will go all the way because he's been charged with uh, battery. It's a minor charge, but it's a charge nonetheless. A charge in an incident that Donald Trump said never happened. He's standing by. You know what would have settled this at the beginning? Sorry about that. It shouldn't have happened. Not trying to smear somebody and run them down and denounce them. But that's, that's the kind of man that Donald Trump is. And that's the kind of man that's going to win the Republican nomination. And then, unfortunately, according to nine out of 10 polls, lose to Hillary Clinton. Not exactly the outcome I was hoping for in 2016. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. News Talk 580, CFRA.
0: Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa.
1: Earlier today, down at the bunker, I um, had an interview with <clears throat> Warren Kinsella. Now, Kinsella is a longtime liberal operative, but a good guy. And I, I talked to Warren Just as news was starting to break, we didn't know about Jean Lapierre. Well, we knew something had happened, but we didn't know for sure. And I'm telling you this rather than just playing the interview straight through, because Warren and I were going to be talking about provincial politics and the changes coming to provincial political financing. You'll hear that in a moment. But I wanted to mention it because Warren was a a friend of Lapierre's going back to the early 80s. And we just decided not to talk about it. And the reason he couldn't join us tonight is he was on his way to another political funeral or visitation. As I said, it's been a rough little while for people in political circles. So here's my interview. I just wanted to give you that heads up. Here's my interview recorded from the bunker earlier today with Warren Kinsella on changes coming to Ontario's political financing rules. Well, we got rid of the per-vote subsidy at the federal level. We changed the fundraising rules to get rid of corporate and union donations. At the provincial level, it is still the wild, wild west. Told you a little while ago about a fundraiser where Kathleen Wynne and Bob Shirelli were being courted by energy industry lobbyists at a $6,000 a plate dinner. Now, fundraising is something every party has to do, but buying access to the minister seems a bit dodgy after some pressure kathleen Wynne now says she's going to be tightening up the rules on corporate and union political donations warren kinsella joins me now from toronto warren uh i think lawn overdue i'm not sure i'm happy about everything that's coming though
10: well that at this point we don't know what's coming um the, the premier scrum this morning on this issue and you know And it's an important issue. How do we fund our politics and does it affect our democracy? And she announced, she was there for a while this morning and said that a comprehensive package is coming and it's going to be in place before the next election. You know, that's the critical thing. It's one thing to announce changes. It's another thing to have it in place for the election. And it sounds like um, she is looking at banning corporate and union donations which will hit her party in the pocketbook just as much as it'll hit the other two. Or, or
1: perhaps more, given some of the um, what we're hearing. And I know you didn't like his column and you wrote about it on your website. And if you want to read Warren's musings, you go to warrenkinsella.com and uh, everything from punk band to the weather to his vacations and, of course, politics. But you took Martin Reg Cohen from the Toronto Red Star to task force, you know, making it sound like the Liberals were being really creepy with having these targets set for cabinet ministers, 250000 to $500,000 a year they have to, to raise. You're right. They, they all have to fundraise. But it just gets me when it's, it ends up being an energy lobbyist selling tickets to energy industry people to sit down with the energy minister. That's the type of access that most of us cannot buy. And, and that's where people start going, I really don't like this.
10: Yeah, and I didn't either, and I, I think quite a few liberals didn't. That one involved a Toronto lobby firm in particular, and they were the ones who were marketing the thing. Like it's one thing for the political parties themselves to be advertising it, as they do endlessly over and over and over again. <laughs> but to have it coming – Oh, yeah. (laughs) They go straight to the junk bin most of the time. But um, to have it coming from a lobby firm, that, that got them a lot of unwanted attention. And from what I understand, Brian, that kind of set the ball rolling, where a lot of ministers and backbenchers said to the premier, you know what, this stuff is more trouble than it's worth. We really need to have a rethink about how it's done. And John Kretzian did that, as you know, 20 years ago on Parliament Hill. Okay, and here's
1: the line from Kathleen Wynne that makes me think, She's going to go the Kretchen route, which is the per vote subsidy, which I'm adamantly opposed to. But she said this morning uh, regarding her plan, quote, it will include transitioning away from corporate and union donations, lowering the annual donation limit and at the same time, keeping the transparency measures in place on real time reporting. That transitioning away makes to me sound like she's going to take taxpayers money and give it to political
10: parties. The question is, the I guess the word is transition. In the case of Kretzian, as you know, um, it was announced and some of the Paul Martin people were very upset and they said it was an attack on them. The party that, that actually was quite happy about it was the Conservative Party or then the, the Alliance and the, and the Conservative Party, Progressive Conservatives, because they had moved into that culture and they were actually pretty good at those smaller donations eventually the system was changed over about a decade. But I think if it is a transition, then I think it's it's the way to go. Instead of just cutting it off right now, um, you know, making sure that the parties have an ability to move to a new system where corporations and unions aren't calling the shots. Well,
1: and, and and if it's a if it's a bridge, then I can probably be okay with it. But I'll tell you, one of the problems and this isn't picking on on your friend and old boss Sean Cretchen. Politicians, I always say don't blame the politician for doing what's in their best interest. It's like blaming the scorpion for staining you. It's what they do. <laughs> the, the per vote subsidy was set up in such a way that um, it went to the parties. It didn't go to the individual MP. It went to the party. And so if there was a split and an MP became an independent, as has happened many times, uh, then... You know, I remember I think it was Helena Georges wanted to run as an independent. Well, the conservatives had $60,000 a year coming to the riding uh, based off of um, the votes that she got, but she had to start from scratch with nothing. So I, I want to see more independence for our elected members at the provincial level, at the federal level. We just have to make sure that if it's heading in that way, that it doesn't stack the deck in favor of party
10: brass. Yeah, and I think most people would agree with that. I think that's a great way of approaching it. That way, you ensure that you know individual riding associations get funded, but at the same time, it's it's uh, not the parties. Now, the parties would argue, and this is the point I made on this Toronto Star column this, this morning. He was going on and on about you know how these guys are all corrupt and it's terrible, the money they raise and so on. And but the, the bottom line is, Brian, I and mean, I've written books about this subject going back twenty years. 80 to 90% of the money that political parties raise before, during, and after uh, election campaigns goes to the media. It goes to radio stations and TV stations and, and newspapers to place advertising because that's how political parties reach voters. Mm-hmm. So it, it to me, it was just kind of a little hypocritical for this Toronto Star guy to be complaining about it when in part, it pays for his salary.
1: Hey, I, I love advertising. All of my work is funded by advertising, so I'm a big fan. Uh, and and I have to tell you, even at the Rebel, we were happy to take Justin Trudeau's ads during uh, the campaign, and they kept popping up on the Rebel website. Um, and people, How'd that happen? Well, there's stories about Trudeau, and you've been searching for Trudeau, and they don't know if you like him or don't like him. They just want you to vote for him.
10: That's right, and that's the way the internet works and, and you know, internet advertising is a, a factor and it is out there, but the problem with the internet is there's too many channels, right? There's just whereas T V still gets the lion's share and radio still get the lion's share of advertising because there's a finite number of channels and there's only one fine station like the one we're on right now in the Ottawa Valley, and that's the one You know, this is the station that people tend to listen to for political coverage. So that's where the political parties advertise. That's fair. That's appropriate. And that's why political parties have to do all this fundraising stuff. But you're quite right what you're saying at the outset. People don't want to see it being priced so that only Donald Trump can participate. That's bad for democracy.
1: All right. Let me ask you just quickly before we run out of time about Kathleen Wynne. She's been taking it on the chin on a bunch of issues lately. The liberals are down in the polls. That makes me happy. Um, But is it going to last? Um, Do voters really have a sense of Horvath or Brown at this point? Are we too far away from an election? What does the master of the dark arts say?
10: I think it's a lifetime away. I think you're absolutely right. You know, a week is a lifetime in politics. Well, we're two years away from the, the election campaign. Patrick Brown, you know, seems to be a smart guy. He obviously, you know, you got to be pretty smart to do what he did and take over that political party, but I think he's still finding his way. So his announcement of a carbon tax in the middle of his convention in Ottawa a couple of weeks ago, I think, shocked a lot of people, especially people in his own party. You know, I think that, you know, if you're conservative, you got to be a conservative, and I'm not sure he won many converts when he pulled that one.
1: No, and, and we'll we'll have uh, numbers on that coming out that will be shocking. Even for Liberal and New Democrat supporters, on how Ontarians feel about that. But that's a story for another day. Warren Kinsella, you can read him at warrenkinsella.com and you can hear him here on News Talk 580 CFRA. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments.
0: Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: I don't know about you, but I'm on fire. Those of you that know that song know what I'm talking about. And otherwise, well, don't worry. I'm just on fire for Stéphane Dion, the Minister of Incompetence. Look, I have a mixed view of Stéphane Dion. This is a man that came out of academia to help the country in a time of need. Stéphane Dion was considered a, a constitutional scholar, a man that, that knew how to make Canada work. And he was a successful professor in Montreal. He didn't have to run for politics. Salary is probably the same. He probably took a pay cut for a little while, to tell you the truth. Now he's doing okay. But he came to Ottawa from Montreal in the 1990s to work on on issues of national unity. and And he fared well. But since then, this is a man who has shown he's not a leader. Do you think it's easy to make priorities? You remember that ad that the conservatives ran against him, him yelling at Michael Ignatius that, you know, you can't pick a priority because it's so hard? Well, now he's our global affairs minister, and Lord, how I hate that term. I hate it. I know some people that still call it external affairs. I'm fine with foreign affairs. The foreign minister, foreign affairs, foreign policy, it's all fine. Eh, Liberals, they don't like the word foreign anymore. It makes them uncomfortable. Foreign, ooh, that's like bad, right? Like, we don't want people to feel bad. We're just all global citizens, right? Yeah. No. No, we're not. We're Canadians. And our foreign affairs department deals with countries outside of Canada. Foreign. Not Canadian. But, hey, the Liberals adopted this. Ah, global, global. We're all just global citizens. So Dion is at the University of Ottawa this morning, and he's he's talking about Canada's new foreign policy. Really, the speech should have been called, Why Conservatives Suck Rotten Eggs and Liberals Are the Awesomest, Awesome, Most Awesome People Ever. Because that's what he was doing. He wasn't laying out a new foreign policy. He talked about this new thing called Responsible Conviction. And sorry, I made his voice sound much deeper than it ever will be there. But that's his new term, responsible conviction. But really? Really? He was just talking about how the conservatives were bad. I want to play you a part of the speech, and I'm sorry, I'm going to be interrupting it because I won't be able to help myself. This is the partisan jibe that I was planning on opening the show with before I decided that I had to be nonpartisan and talk about Jean Lapierre's passing. But I can't go without pointing out the folly that Stefan Dion. You're going to hear him talking about Russia. This comes just after he talked about how the previous government was wrong to cut off ties with Iran, a country that was spying on Canada, interfering with Canadian citizens, trying to steal state secrets, industrial secrets. All these problems. Forget about that. It was just ideologically, he says. Then he gets on to Russia.
11: Canada's severing of ties with Russia had no positive consequences for anyone. Not for Canadians, not for the Russian people, not for Ukraine, and not for global security.
1: Okay, stop it there. We'll start up again in a second, but stop it there. Canada's severing of ties with Russia. To use a term you will hear me say often on this program, bull Kaka. Bull crap. I wish I could say it like Matthew McConaughey, but I'm not allowed to. Severing ties with Russia? Do you know how much, how many, the value, the dollar value of the imports from Russia were last year? A billion dollars in 2015, in the middle of the whole sanctions issue. That's higher than it was the year before, by about 300 million, roughly. Our exports to Russia went down, but they've been going up for years even as Putin has become more belligerent, more aggressive, more determined to put back together the band that was the USSR? And he says, oh, we severed ties. No, we didn't, you mook. No, we didn't, you're a fool. Quit lying to the Canadian people. Roll tape.
11: The sanctions imposed on Russia in retaliation of its aggression against Ukraine are effective only because They are being imposed
2: by a large number of countries. Canada
11: must continue to require that these collective sanctions be maintained or even strengthened. But Canada must stop being essentially the only one practicing an empty chair policy with Russia.
1: Stop. Stop. An empty chair policy with Russia. So apparently we we have nothing to do with Russia. Apparently, under the Harper government, we just stopped talking to them, stopped having anything to do with them. Other than when we were at the freaking G20 with them, we all remember that. Stephen Harper famously stood up to Vladimir Putin. They're at a gathering in Australia. Putin left early because he just hated what Harper did to him. It got to him so much. Even the Russian media admitted that. Harper sees Putin as all the leaders are gathering and they're all supposed to be nice to each other. And Putin walks up to him with his hand out and Harper grabs his hand, shakes his hand and says, well, I only have one thing to say to you, get out of Ukraine. Why is that a bad thing? Stefan Dion talks about responsible conviction. That is conviction, being able to stand up and tell the person, get out. Canada was not alone in imposing sanctions. That was a multilateral effort. And your buddies down in Washington in the Obama administration worked hand in glove with Canada on those different sanctions that were aimed at not crippling the Russian people, not crippling Ukraine, but crippling or hurting Putin and his cronies so that they might say, you know what, this is not the best option for us. It's hurting us too much. Roll tape. Because by doing so, we are only punishing ourselves. As long as we refuse to engage Russia through
11: diplomatic and political channels, we preclude any opportunity to support Ukraine through negotiations. In Syria, the Canadian policy of limited engagement with Russia has severely impaired Canada's ability to influence the peace talks. On stop, numerous parties
1: Stop this man from talking! In Syria, we're on different sides. We're not fans of the Assad regime. I don't think Stephen Harper was in the same position as Barack Obama in that he wanted him gone. And I say that with some certainty, having been in the room with Obama and Harper when they talked about Mubarak being removed. And Obama said, he's got to go. He's got to go. we got to have a different leader in Egypt. And Stephen Harper was very cautious because he he wondered what would come next. So, no, Stephen Harper was not as adamant that Assad had to go. But he still wasn't on Assad's side. Putin clearly was. So, yes, we're going to be on different sides in the issue. And I'm sorry, Mr. Dion, doesn't matter about your sunny ways, your Sunni ways, or your smiley ways— we're not going to be in on the peace talks with Iran that see them say, yeah, we'll let some inspectors in, but we're going to keep testing ballistic missiles. I want to hear your thoughts on this, this new way, this great way that we're going to be building a better world of tomorrow. After the break, we'll come back to your calls. 521-TALK, five two one eight two five five star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-2372. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News.
0: You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: 521 Talk, 521-8255, Star 580 on Bell Mobility, or if you're calling from out of town, it's easy. one 800 580 2372 I want to hear from you. It's time to open up the phone lines, time to get feedback. You can get to me by at uh, beyond the news at cfra.com as well. Beyond the news. I think Brian at CFRA might work as well, but the, the official email address is beyond at CFRA.com. You've heard me talk about Jean Lapierre tonight. You've heard lots of people talk about that. Had Senator Marjorie LeBreton on about Senate reform and what a farce that is. Talk to Warren Kinsella about the issue of political finance reform. Kathleen Wynne is going to bring in political finance reform. This is unbelievable. This is a woman who was taking, just recently, huge, huge payouts. Sorry, let me say it in the current vernacular of both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump.
12: Huge.
1: The payouts were huge from unions and corporations. I believe the total spend for the major unions in the last provincial election was more than $8 million. That's more than any one party spent on their own. But she's going to bring in changes. She announced that this morning at Queen's Park. And are we able to play that clip now? Kathleen Wynne this morning at uh, at Queen's Park. I see Steven. He's on the phone right now. He's taking your calls. He's busy. All right, let's play Kathleen Wynne now, announcing this morning that they're going to be doing a a change to political financing in Ontario.
4: The government will bring forward a plan in the fall, and that will include new rules on third-party advertising. We, uh, we've talked about that. It'll also include transitioning away from corporate and union donations, lowering the annual donation limit, and at the same time, keeping the transparency measures currently in place on real-time reporting.
1: Do you, do you trust Kathleen Wynne when it comes to this issue? I mean, look, I think the time has come for political finance reform in Ontario. I'm not completely opposed to this, and I think that it is incumbent upon every Ontarian to get involved and try and make sure that whatever comes in is done right. Do you have thoughts on this? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. And, of course, willing to take your calls on Stefan Dion and Russia. The man stood up and essentially lied his way through an entire speech. At the University of Ottawa today. It was revisionist history on steroids. I try not to say that politicians lied, but Stefan Dion lied time and again when it came to the Conservative record on foreign affairs. He would make it sound like Canada stood in a corner stomping its feet for the entire time that Stephen Harper and the Conservatives were in power. Meanwhile, he just He says that because he doesn't recognize the G7. He doesn't recognize the G20. He doesn't recognize NATO as being good multilateral institutions for Canada to be involved in. He just wants us involved with the United Nations, which, by the way, this week, or sorry, last week, once again, denounced Israel. Headline. Amy Bajewski at Fox News. You can't make it up. UN names Democratic Israel as world's top human rights violator. That's right. March 24th. So that would be last Thursday. The UN Commission on the Status of Women wrapped up its annual meeting in New York by condemning only one country for violating women's rights anywhere on the planet. Israel for violating the rights of Palestinian women. Just days, just days before. They had denounced Israel at the UN Human Rights Commission. But th- th- this is this is what Trudeau and Dion and all of them want. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Michael in Barhaven, you're on Beyond the News.
3: Hi, Brian. My first time calling a new show, so welcome to CFRA uh, in the evenings.
1: Well, thank <laughs> you very much.
3: When I listened to Stefan Dion going on about Russia and then Prime Minister Trudeau the other day going on about how ISIS was uh, not a country and didn't really – it wasn't like they had a flag or territory. Uh, you listen to these guys, and then I, I, you might be familiar with A Streetcar Named Desire by Tennessee Williams. Stop! Blanche. <laughs> other than that, Blanche DuBois, and I'm taking the quote out of context for, for my purposes here, mm-hmm. but she wants truth. She doesn't want truth. She wants what ought to be the truth. And whenever I hear the liberals going on about anything, any liberal – at any level, including a provincial level, is they, they project this image of their own reality onto Canada. And uh, it's not reality at all. It's it's what they want us to believe. And some people are stupid enough to believe this stuff about Russia or what the prime minister says about we're not in a war, we're in a fight, and all this kind of stuff. It just it's, uh, boggles the mind how these guys just spout this stuff out of their mouths. And, <laughs> and, and, and the dis- disturbing part of it is, None
1: of the reporters seem to be questioning him on any of this stuff. Well, okay, so I keep putting out my Twitter account uh, yes. during the show, Michael, and one of the reasons is this morning I'm at the event and I take a picture and I tweeted it and said, look at all the cameras and reporters that are out here. What story are you going to hear from this? You're not going to hear that Stefan Dion lied his way through a speech about the conservative foreign policy. Instead, there's this obsession – With this arms deal with the Saudis to sell them light-armored vehicles, all right, that's fine. That's one story, but you can have more than one story come out of a speech. But they they will not point out that the liberals keep lying. And you quoted Streetcar Named Desire, and I love the theater reference. I'm an old theater guy myself. Yes, I realize
3: that.
1: So (laughs) I, I love that. But you know what it reminds me of when they start speaking? You're entitled to your own fact or you're entitled to your own opinions, but not your own facts. (laughs) They keep they keep dreaming up the world they want it to see instead of you know and, and Dion says, Well I'm dealing with the world as it is. You're not dealing with Canada as it is.
3: I mean, every every political party of every stripe has their own spin on things. That's one thing. But what's really disturbing again is how I mean, totalitarian regimes, of course, uh, you know, are famous for projecting this reality. The guy in North Korea is a classic example. You know, real, And when in Mao, people were starving in China by the millions, and Mao would drive down the city streets. The, the streets would be piled with food and vegetables and everything as he his motorcade made his way through the countryside. And In the meantime, of course, yeah, people are starving and dying, and this this is their projected reality. It, yeah. How far are they going to carry this? As far uh, as uh, you know, when we're trying to fight against a very real, terrible, disgusting ter- terrorist war, and and how much are they going to you know pull the will? Try to pull the wool over our eyes as far as reality is. You know.
1: Hopefully, we don't get to the point where our media is just filled with pictures of Justin Trudeau pointing at things the way it is in North Korea. Thanks for the right. call, Michael. <laughs> All right, going to Gloria in Ottawa. Gloria, you are on Beyond the News.
13: <laughs> okay, well, listen. I don't know. If, would you mind if I'd like to just? Um, I have some questions about this prisoner who died. Of a, first of all, with you can natural... ask the
1: questions, but I don't know an awful lot.
13: Okay. All right. Now, see, the thing is, now I'd like to know what is the med. I'm sure I'm just throwing this out. I'm, I'm not for you to answer, in a sense, mm-hmm. unless you know. What medical reason was this prisoner put in the health unit and and only to be left lying on the floor in an overcrowded room, you know? I mean, first of all, in in terms of his, his medical care... Uh, uh was was this man medically examined to find out what was wrong with him when when he complained of so-called not feeling well or did he just they leave him lying on the floor and until he, and he died there and i i'd like to know what medical care as well as services did this man receive before he died and and it, it, whatever they were what does his, his medical records say and, and how many uh, medical staff are on each shift, like how many doctors, mm-hmm. how, many nervous, uh, how many nurses, and, and was he moved from that crowded room uh, before he died or, 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 I say, left on the floor? Because there should be a very, very thorough investigation into this man's death. I, I'm you sure
1: know. there will be a thorough investigation, yeah. Gloria. This man dying um, was one of the people bunking in a shower room, correct? Yes. Yeah. Now,
13: yes. so he had, its
1: its early on, and we don't know all the details, and I'm sure more will come out over time.
13: Well, but will I he, so.
1: here's my quick take on it, Gloria. Yes. Yes. I do not think that if we look at the objective facts, mm-hmm. this is horrible. What happened to this man? Yes. Whether you're in jail or not. Yes. Dying? No. That that's. But was his death caused by being in jail? Probably not. Was his yes. death caused by? overcrowding and bad sleeping conditions, Probably, I, I've never heard of someone dying from that. No. So we're probably talking about someone who had a different condition.
5: That's right. Now,
1: if it was exacerbated by it, then the officials will have to answer for that. But I think this is going to turn out to be a case of um, coincidence. Mm-hmm. And for the officials who are in charge, very bad timing.
13: I don't know if it's uh, you know. See, the thing is, there's nothing uh, mentioned, or at least not not yet, about his past history and what his diagnosis was. I I just feel that that uh, you know, from from the stories of them being overcrowded and just thrown in and and not cared for. I mean, this this person because they have not been convicted of any crime. There's somebody's uh, uh, father, brother, uncle. Or cousin, You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think they're just t- treated abominably. So I-, I hope that this turns up a lot of uh, well, uh, sh- what it, happened.
1: I'm, I'm sure it's going to create an awful lot of problems for the government and an awful lot of questions for the mm-hmm. officials in charge. Thanks for the call. Thank I'm you. Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. More of your calls when we come back. You want to join the conversation. 521-TALK, five two one eight two five five star 580 on Bell Mobility. Or if you're out of town, 1 800 580 2372. Beyond the News at CFRA.com.
0: Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: So one of my guilty pleasures on uh, social media is following this site called The Chive. And uh, their um, their slogan is, keep calm and chive on. They're asking, they, they have this thing called The Asking Couch. And most of the topics they ask on The Asking Couch, I couldn't repeat on this program. But today they're asking, should men wear makeup? And I'm scrolling by in the break and I see this and I thought, should men wear makeup? I think I still am. Yeah, the hazards of being in TV and video production. Still got a little bit of the powder on. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's fine. You're going to question my manhood when I go to the phones now? 521-TALK, five two one eight two five five. if you think I'm not manly for wearing makeup. Peter, in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News.
12: Yeah, hi, Brian. Um, a little disappointed with... Um... To fan Dion's remarks I think because the the Americans are our largest trading partner by far mm-hmm. we, should be focused, we should be focusing most of our energy and, and persuasion powers on, on the United States I think it's a fantasy I think it's crazy that the Liberals are, are hell-bent to get a seat back in the Security Council I mean this is this might buff up their uh, uh, you know buff up their credentials uh you know, with their pals on Parliament Hill and in other places. But, I mean, it's, it's it's irrelevant to think that, you know, Canada's going to have a lot of weight and, and suasion with countries like Russia and Iran, two countries, by the way, that are actively involved in all sorts of things. I mean, Russia is has been actively trying to split NATO and split European opinion apart for the past 15, 20 years.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, look at the whole thing with Ukraine. Shutting off their gas supply, trying to stop them from being out there, uh, yeah. it, it, looking towards Europe.
12: Yeah, and the thing is, uh, it's, it's very clear now that uh, that uh, Stephen Harper was following in the wake, uh, following the same policies as as, as Bush was uh, pursuing in the in the states. And now the reverse has happened, and then Trudeau was following along Obama's policies. But uh, I, you know, I don't the... know about
1: that. There are times when Harper and Obama worked hand in glove together. There really were. Oh. And it just because it made sense. I, mean, I don't think Obama is wrong on absolutely everything. I don't, I, there's going to be times when I agree with, with junior Trudeau over there.
12: Well, I I think that the, that, that Bush uh, did a huge uh, tactical mistake by trying to set up a puppet regime in in the Ukraine in order to get the Ukraine to become part of Europe. And that's what scared the living crap out of Russia. And that's how this whole thing started. So I mean, but to think that we're going to, you know, we're a country of 33 million people. We, we're not going to, you know, be able to throw our weight around the world against uh, dictatorships and, and countries like Iran who are trying to hack into our banking systems, <laughs> or our yep. banking system in the United States, the same as the Chinese are. There are no friends in the world when it comes to foreign affairs. I mean, it's I, – I, I don't, don't know why you're country. saying
1: that, Peter. I don't know why you're saying that. We only got out of um... – we only got out of Iran because of uh, ideology. That's what Dion yeah. told us today.
12: Yeah. So, you know, if if it makes the liberals sleep better at night, they can, they can pursue these, uh, these dreams. If they just want to poke sticks at the conservatives for the sake of poking sticks, it's going to make them look foolish in the end.
1: All right. Thanks for the call, Peter. Going to Guy. The Capital Voice in the PN. Hello, Guy.
14: Hi, good evening, Brian. I was hoping to possibly use your show as a platform for a public service announcement for the Police Services Act public consultations. Okay. I, happening on Saturday?
1: There's public consultations. I always encourage people to go, so fill us in.
14: Okay, well, the province, uh, Yasser Nakfi, as you know, is uh, holding, and the Police Services Act is going to be renewed let's say Mm -hmm. um there's a number of issues jack mclaren was going to put it in his newsletter this week there's a number of issues that are important to all of us i can maybe just outline a couple of them but it is saturday this saturday between one and three april the second at the sandy hill community center and this is one of eight or ten this is the only chance for people in eastern ontario is this the only one in eastern ontario no this is the only one in eastern ontario okay so um there 's a number of issues, as we all know brian i 'm um, not going to kind of uh, go into them if you 've got a second, but the, the, the first thing is when police officers are suspended they 're always suspended with pay. This is a huge issue that a lot of the police chiefs want to change and a lot of taxpayers want to change. costs us about seven million a year, so if you 're suspended and you 're going uh, as a police officer charged. Uh, in in a criminal affair, you get paid for the whole time until you're ple- until you're pleaded innocent or guilty. OCAP wants to change that, and I think that any reasonable taxpayer wants to as well, especially a duty officer who's charged with an offense. Secondly, we've got carding. Mm-hmm. Gloria okay. is a perfect example of a person who should go on Saturday.
1: Guy. Can you hold on until after the news break? Yes, sir. I want to come back to you. So, Guy in Nepean, we got more in Manatek, more of your calls after this. But what Guy's talking about is important. And a call out right now to Jack McLaren's office, if you're listening. We need to talk to Jack about this and about why it's important for you to go to this public consultation. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. News Talk 580 CFRA.
0: On the news with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa.
1: Before we get back to uh, Guy, the Capital Voice, on the issue of. Public consultations on the uh, Police Services Act. I just want to point you towards Facebook. If you're annoyed at what I've been saying about Steph and Dion, Facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. You can uh, share my latest video from the rebel.media on this very issue. Clips of Dion explaining why he's wrong, explaining why this is infuriating. Now, Guy called in about public consultations happening this Saturday on. Ontario's Police Services Act. There are 10 public consultations across the province, just one in eastern Ontario. It happens this Saturday in Sandy Hill. That's correct, Guy?
14: That's correct, Brian, from what I read on the website. Right. It was quite informative. So
1: before I, I... I want you to explain the issues that you think need to be addressed in the Police Services Act, but... And, and if anybody else wants to call in, 521-TALK, 521 star 580 on Bell Mobility or out of town, 1-800-580-CFRA. That's 2372 but, well, Guy, what, one of the problems with pub, public consultations is that it's the activists, normally the left wing activists, that show up. And then the government says, well, we consulted the public and this is what we heard. And of course they're going to show up. As Oscar Wilde said, the problem with socialism is you don't have any free nights, well, you're
14: these absolutely- people
1: are constantly out.
14: You're, you're absolutely correct, Brian. And with all those Ontario government commercials that we know and love, it'd be nice if Yasser nakvi could put out a commercial on CFRA for the next three days to uh, at least have uh, representatives from all sectors of uh, Ontario society. Oh, I, 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 I bet you it's going out too well in front of police right now.
1: I bet it's going out to all the left-wing mailing lists and uh, left-wing publications.
14: Well, let's talk. So, about so
1: let's talk about why people need to show up from this side of the aisle.
14: Well, there's a lot of issues, Brian, and I encourage people to look at the website. But the Police Services Act really encompasses the way police deal with arbitration, which is a huge issue right now and hugely cost uh, costly to the Canadian taxpayer and the Ontario taxpayer as well. But uh, more so, um, I think the be- the real big thing is this is one thing that we can renew, is that suspended officers who are being charged with a criminal offence do not receive their pay after they're suspended. And that is a huge one that OCAP wants. It's a huge cost to the taxpayer. It's not right. Some of these officers, were either rightfully or wrongfully charged, are getting their salary for three and four and five years as their case goes on and on and on. And it's uh, not well.
11: Right. And I, that's, that's one okay, thing he, Jack
14: McLaren agrees with as well. Here's I hope where... you have Jack on the show to talk about the arbitration issues. They're a little bit more complex. Jack could talk to those much better than I could.
1: Jack is welcome on the program absolutely any time other okay. but let me just say this if someone is charged but not convicted and that, so and it requires them being suspended because if i'm charged with a crime guy if you're charged with a crime most people are charged with a crime they're not going to lose their jobs
14: but do we should, should but we, a police should officer
1: them? a police officer is suspended that's the way it works with pay i think they should be suspended with pay but i don't think that it should the justice system should not take 3 4 years to deal with it
14: well, it's costing us about $7 million a year, and again, it's I, something I, that OCAP think, really wants to look at, because uh, the duty officers who are doing their job look at this stuff as well, and they just shake their head. I, I think uh, there's, there's the, other ways the to officers, deal with... I really, think, you talk to a duty officer, uh, Brian, and and you should... Uh, anyways. Yeah.
1: I, I think there's other ways to deal with bringing that cost down
15: Yeah, I think and improving
1: right. the justice system so that it's fair to the officers and to the public, because some of these officers are going to be unfairly charged, and they shouldn't... They shouldn't be left high and dry. Well, you none know, of us should be left high and dry if we're if we're un, unfairly so, accused of something.
14: So, therefore, if you're acquitted off the thing, why don't you just get your back pay?
1: Well, that I'm so there's a possibility. I, but I just, just just cutting people off—that's not the way I want to go. But there are a lot of issues around the Police Services Act that should be addressed, and and that's why.
14: In your view, what are the big ones, Brian?
1: Honestly, I think we need to make sure that we get people out. I, I, You know, I'm going to have to read more on it, but if, okay. they're, if they're going to be reviewing it and Yasser Nakvi's in charge, I'm not overly comfortable with, and I, I it's being held be there, at Sandy yeah. Hill Community Center?
14: I think he'll be there Saturday for his quick little two- or three-minuter and uh, his, uh, you know, photo op, and then he'll be on his way.
1: Uh, well, we'll see. But hopefully you're out there, and we'll try and get others out as well. Thanks so much, Guy. Thank you, Brian. All right. Maureen in Manitick, you're on Beyond the News.
15: Good evening, Brian. Excellent program, as usual.
1: Oh, thank you very much. You're calling in about uh, my three favorite people, Shirelli, Wynn, and NACFI.
15: That's right. Actually, I, like I, I
1: don't have any problem with yes or NACVI at this point.
15: You don't? I do.
1: Well, uh, g- Give me time. We'll get there.
15: I like him on the list, the fire.
1: So, Well, we've got the firebob.ca petition going yes. and the ca petition yes, and going. I like NAFTA to be on
15: there, too.
1: All right. So wh- why NACFI?
15: Because uh, Smokey Thomas had alerted him to the problems on February the 5th at the jail. Mm-hmm. And he's done nothing. Even today when he was on the radio, he's done nothing. He just skirts around. He just keeps talking.
1: Look, I, um, Maureen, I, I'm going to guess that you have an idea of where I stand on liberal politicians. Yes. Same but,
15: place I do.
1: But Smokey Thomas represents OPSU.
15: That's right.
1: The Ontario Public Service Employees Union.
15: That's right.
1: So I'm always going to take – and and I've interviewed Smokey, um, and I I know where he comes from, but I still take what he says with a grain of salt. And so when – it was February 20th, you said? Fifth. February 5th. Okay. So when Smokey Thomas says this is happening, NACVI would naturally go to his officials and say – hey, this is the accusation, tell me what's going on, I need to know. They apparently told him, no, 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 it's fine. When you are a cabinet minister, you've got to be able to rely on the information your officials provide you. I see. I would hope that the officials that provided him that information, when he went in and said, Smokey Thomas says this, what the heck's going on? I would hope that they're Reassigned Because, eh, let's face it, Maureen, we know they can't be fired.
15: Well, I wish they could. But, but, but <laughs> well, they... you and I both wish
1: they could be fired. <laughs> but but we know that's not how the public... If if he tried to fire them, Smokey Thomas would be fighting for their jobs.
15: Right. But he also called... Uh, when Smokey Thomas told Nafti this, NAfty called him a liar.
14: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, this is this is no misplaced love for liberal politicians, just knowing how politics works. Like I said, he he went to his officials and said, what the heck? What are you talking about? And they said, don't worry, sir. This. No, he's lying. That's not true. This is this is how they have to operate. You can't be on top of absolutely every single thing in a department as big as he has. You can't know exactly what's happening at the Innes Road Detention Center in Ottawa. Even if you are an Ottawa MPP, it's just not going to happen. He's in charge of the full provincial jail system. Uh, right. So he, he's going to miss out on some of these things. But like okay. I said, if he fired those officials that gave him that information, Smokey Thomas would be demanding that they get their jobs back. <laughs> right All right. What do you think about Kathleen Wynne and her fundraising changes? Um you know, you she's been, it? the. I, I don't know. I want to see what the details are. Devil's in the details. But she's been saying that there's no problem with these $6,000 ahead dinners with Bob Shirelli and members of the energy sector. And then, what, two, three weeks later, she's out saying, well, we're going to bring in sweeping changes.
15: Yeah, I don't believe it.
1: No. Well, We'll see what the rest of the audience thinks. Maureen, thanks for the call.
15: Thank you. Bye.
1: Do you have thoughts on this? 521-TALK, to one eight two five five star 580 on Bell Mobility. I really want to hear from somebody on Kathleen Wynne's promise to bring in changes to the political financing system in Ontario. She's won two elections now. No, well, okay, she, she only won one. She won the leadership with the support of unions, specifically the teachers' unions she won the general election with the support of a coalition of unions. Now she's saying we need to get union donations out of it. Maybe because the public sector unions are all annoyed at her. I'm not saying she's wrong. I'm just questioning why she's suddenly come to this idea. 521-TALK 521-8255 star 580 on Bell Mobility. Beyond the news at CFRA.com I'm Brian Lilly. Back in moments.
0: in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
1: Uh, oh, I love the fun-loving lo- fun criminals. They're a Fun little band from the 90s, but you know what? Not the biggest band anymore. There is a big act that's coming to Ottawa. In fact, he's going to take up residency in the capital for a few days. This weekend, April 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, there's going to be four shows by Garth Brooks at the Canadian Tire Center. So on, on Friday night, there's a show at 7. On Saturday night, there's a show at 7. On Sunday, there's a show at 3 and at 7.30. Unreal, four Garth Brooks shows. That's something. Now, CFRA is running a promotion for the next little while. This week, you can win a chance to get in to see Garth Brooks. The contest is called CFRA Rocks, and if you listen in, you can win up to six times daily to hear this guy in concert.
5: All on my roots, I showed up in boots and ruined your blind tie affair. The last one to know, the last one to show, I was the last one you thought you'd see there. And I saw the surprise and the fear in his eyes when I took his glass of champagne. I toasted you, said honey, we may be through, but you'll never hear me complain. Cause I got
10: friends and law.
1: Yeah, you're not gonna win if you call in now, but if you listen in six times daily, you can qualify to win at 7 35, 8 35, 11 35, 12 35, 3 35. We can just keep playing this song underneath me here, Steve, and this is good. This is how I feel when I go to every official party in Ottawa. You go to a party on the hill, everybody's really fancy, fancy, mucky muck. And I'm just not. I'm not that guy. I'm the guy whose father used to, he didn't work at the steel mills, he used to retrofit the steel mills. And my stepdad, who was in management, still worked at the steel mill. And my mother, she was a clerk. Essentially, clerk, office worker. So I kind of relate to this song. Because while you get guys like Jean Lapierre, we'll remember him again, coming from Ile de Madeleine. You know, there's not a lot of fancy things on Ile de Madeleine. But you also get an awful lot of fancy pants people or people that think they're fancy pants up on the hill. This is my description of the difference between real Ottawa and official Ottawa. And I always try and make sure that people realize there is a distinction between official Ottawa and real Ottawa. Real Ottawa is filled with normal people that get up and go to work every day and work hard, pay their taxes, play by the rules. And then there's official Ottawa. With people that are trying to climb the greasy pole and live off your back and mine. Live off our taxes and live the high life off of the sweat of our brow. That's the difference. Maybe that's why Garth Brooks resonates here. That and, heck, we're still just a lumber town that has a nice shiny building up on a hill, right? So if you want to join in up until this Friday, we'll be taking qualifiers six times daily, starting at 7.35. So you can wake up with Bill Carroll tomorrow and, uh, and win tickets. I'm not sure if Bill's a, a country fan. I'm not sure. So, uh, am, I, am I the only country fan on the, the lineup for talk show hosts? I have to ask the guys. I don't know. We'll find out. But I don't got tickets, so it doesn't matter. And I'm not going. But I might be going down to Toronto to see Mark Stein on the weekend. And if so, we will bring you a good chunk of that. Mark Stein and Nigel Farage appearing at the Monk Debates in Toronto on Friday night. I'm trying to finagle this right now uh, because Mark's making himself available. And if you've read Mark over the years in National Post, in McLean's, at steinonline.com, Then you're a fan, because if you read Mark Stein and you listen to this show, you're going to like Mark Stein. So Mark Stein and Nigel Farage are on the con side of mass immigration. This is the debate taking place uh, in Toronto this weekend. And on the other side are Louise Arbour, former Supreme Court justice who resigned to go off and travel the world, I suppose. And Simon Shama. So, Simon Shama and Louise Arbour are going to be speaking about why the world should take in more Syrian refugees. Nigel Farage and Mark Stein are going to be talking about why mass immigration is not a good thing. Trying to get interviews with both of them. Stein is likely, Farage, we will see. And if I can't bring them to you on Friday or before. We will bring them to you next week if we're able to, to work this. But a lot, of, a lot of moving parts trying to make this work at the moment because it came to me late in the day and, you know, you just don't know how these things are going to work. If you want a treat, after the show, right after the show, once I'm turned off the mic, I'm going to pull up one of Nigel Farage's um, speeches in the European Parliament and put it on Facebook So facebook.com slash Brian Lilly is where you want to go. This guy is amazing to listen to. I'll find the one where he skewers the European Union head, who appears to lecture everyone on how they should be living. Nigel Farage is actually an elected official. He's elected by the people of England to go and represent his district of Britain in the European Parliament. But the head of the European Union is an appointed official, as so many people in the European Union are. This is why britain 's looking to leave the european union they 're fed up. this is a democratic country. This is the mother of all parliaments saying we 've had enough of you euroweenies telling us how to live. Nigel Farage is at the fore of that, and one of the people looking at what is happening on the continent he 's coming to Toronto for this debate and will um will bring us a different viewpoint, so hopefully we're able to speak to him. And if you want to also, please check out the uh, the video I did up for The Rebel on Stefan Dion. Dion actually just breaking out into revisionist history all over the place in terms of Canada's foreign policy. If you listen to Stefan Dion, he would tell you that Canada stood alone in a corner Stomping its feet like a petulant child for the last 10 years. It's not true. He knows it. You know it. The whole world knows it. But he's going to get away with saying it over and over again because the media won't call him out on it. And then, like the Rolling Stones, who dubbed themselves the greatest rock band in the world, or Michael Jackson, who dubbed himself the King of Pop, eventually these things stick. And they become received wisdom. And people believe them. But the fact is, Dion is lying to us. He's not stretching the truth. He is lying to us. A couple of other stories you want to check out on The Rebel, make sure you check out Ezra Levant talking about how in Brussels, after the, um, after the terrorist attack, they didn't shut down mosques. They shut down synagogues. Honest to goodness, I wish this were an onion story. I wish this were satire. They shut down the synagogues after the terrorist attack in Brussels last week. The Rebel dot media, check it out. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Check me out on social media. We'll be back on Thursday night. Tomorrow night, the sixty sevens game. News at the top of the hour.